September 12th, 1962, President John F. Kennedy made a speech at Rice University that challenged the belief of even the wildest dreamers at the time. He was at Rice University, and he declared that we, as a country, would put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. Isn't YouTube wonderful? I, I wanted you to see that because it's a reminder that even when most people think that you're crazy, if you dare to believe and you dream and you work a plan, even the most unbelievable things in life can happen. I don't know if you heard what he said. He said, but we're going to build something out of metals that have not been invented yet. We're going to withstand heat that we've never experienced yet. We're, we're going to build something that's going to be uh, finer than we've ever built before. We're going to go to the moon. Oh, and by the way, we're going to figure out a way to get it back. I know that we just got in space, but we're going to figure out a way to get it back too. And when he said this, it was, it was considered crazy. It was considered crazy. But he dared to believe, he dreamed, he worked a plan. And when we do that, we get to add God to the equation and unbelievable things can happen. This series is really based on uh, a conversation between a dad and Jesus in Mark chapter 9. This dad needed a miracle from, from Jesus, and Jesus said to him, anything is possible if you believe. And the dad said, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. Uh, there is a part of me that believes, the dad says, but then there's this other huge part of me that doesn't believe, and I want to believe, but I need help believing. And so we just said last week that we claim those father's words as our own. God, I, I believe at a basic level, but God, I really need you to help me believe. Help me, help me believe. And so last week we talked about uh, help me believe I can change. Help me believe that I can change. For some of us, the most difficult thing to believe is that you can be different. The most difficult thing to believe is that it won't always be as bad as it is right now. So we looked at a story in 2 Kings 5. All these stories are about uh, Elisha, a guy named Elisha in the Bible. We looked at a, a story in 2 Kings 5 about a man named Naaman that God uh, dramatically, unbelievably healed and changed. He wants to do the same thing in our lives. And this week, we're going to talk about help me believe it can happen. Help me believe it can happen. Everybody say, it can happen. It can happen. So I got so much I want to say today. Um, 
I got way too many points. If you're a note taker, it's going to be crazy today, all right? We're going all over the place. It's going to be like spaghetti, but um, uh, way too many points, not enough time. So we're going to jump right in and uh, try, to, try to get all this in today, okay? 2 Kings chapter 6. Check it, 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to start with verse 24. Here's what it says. It says, sometime later, however, King Benadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. And as a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Mm, are y'all hungry yet? Come on. Now listen, what God is going to do in this story is truly unbelievable. And before we get very far in the story, the author wants you to know just how bad things are. Okay, this is not, we're not reading about some situation that is unpleasant but tolerable. We're not reading about a situation that, you know, is, is like, it's bad, but it could be worse. No, no, no. The author wants us to understand that things have gotten so bad and the people are so hungry and so desperate that a donkey's head is going for 80 pieces of silver and dove's dung is going for five pieces of silver. Now, Friday night, I went out to eat with some friends and one of my friends ordered something called bone marrow, all right? I don't know if you've ever had it. I didn't even try it, but um, I don't know if it's anything like donkey's head, but it is... uh, it's crazy. And so these people are paying, they're so hungry and so desperate that they would pay 80 pieces of silver for donkey's head and five for dove dung. So here's what I love about God. Here's what I love about God is that God does some of his most miraculous works in the darkest, most desperate times, right? Isn't that true? And everybody wants to experience a miracle, but nobody wants to need one. You know what I mean? It's like we want to experience God's miracle work and power. We just never want to be in a position where we have to have it. Sometimes God's best miracles are reserved for the most desperate situations. So let's keep reading. 2 Kings 3, 33. And so skipping down a little bit. So the king said, so this is getting bad. The, the, the king says, all this misery is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So he goes to find Elisha and he says, this is from God. God's punishing us. And Elisha has been telling him to wait on the Lord, but now he's saying, why should I wait any longer? He's mad. The king's mad. He blames God. Isn't it? Doesn't it always seem like it's the case that we blame God when things go wrong, but forget to thank God when things are going right? Isn't that how it works? You know, that's what's happening here. And the king is tired of waiting on God to fix this desperate situation. And he thinks maybe it's time to take matters into his own hands. Maybe it's time for him to, to figure it out himself. And we've all felt what the king is feeling. We've all gone through periods or times or seasons or trials in life where it feels like we can't take it a minute longer. We can't take it a minute longer. Amen. Can't be in this marriage any, any longer. Another second. Can't work this job. Can't keep fighting this battle. Why hasn't God done something about it yet. And it's so tempting in those moments to try and manufacture your own miracle, isn't it? So tempting. You can't wait any longer for Mr. Right. So you go find Mr. Right now, hope it works out, you know, hope everything's going to work out. You're not making the financial progress as fast as you want to make, so you decide to make a trip to the blackjack tables. 
And can we just all admit, because we've been there and we've bought all the t-shirts, that when we try to fix our own mess, it just creates a bigger mess? Come on, can anybody say, yeah, when I try to fix my messes, it just makes a bigger mess? Psalm 40, verse 1, David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. So hard to do. But I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and he heard my cry. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but those who wait on the Lord, they will find new strength. You say, Jason, I don't have the strength to make it anymore. But when we wait on the Lord, we find new strength. And we soar high on wings like eagles. And we run and we don't grow weary. We walk and not faint. When we wait on the Lord, I'm convinced, this is just me, I can't speak for you, but I'm convinced that most of the times in life, the things that I uh, um, say are extra difficult or are harder than they should be is usually the times in life where I got ahead of God and instead of allowing him to do it supernaturally, I tried to do it naturally. You know what I mean? I tried to do it naturally and, and when God does it, it's, it's supernatural. Now, I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm not talking about doing nothing. You know that. You, you know me well enough to know that. Because sometimes my faith or obedience is what starts the miracle. And that, that's true. But when you feel yourself getting that urge to try and get out in front of God, you have to stop yourself and wait. We've got to wait on God. So let's keep reading. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Elisha replied. So the king's like, this is from God. I can't wait on God any longer. And so Elisha replied, listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow... In the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver. Now, remember, a donkey said it's going for 80. And he says, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver. And 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. And the officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen. Everybody say, that couldn't happen. That, he says, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. And so Elisha replied, you will see it happen with your own eyes. You're going to see it happen, but you won't be able to eat any of it. Now, Elisha tells the messenger the miracle that God is going to do, and it's just too much to believe. It's, it's literally un, unbelievable. And who can blame the messenger, really? I mean, when things are so bad that donkey's heads and dove dung is a luxury food item, I've been trying to figure out how many times I could get dove dung in the sermon. It's nearly impossible, nearly impossible to believe that God is going to change scenarios and outcomes overnight. I mean, how many times have you prayed about something, needing it the next day, and you didn't get it the next day? You thought God would do something right away, and you don't. And so it's difficult. I understand where the messenger's coming from, because it's difficult to believe that God can change a situation that is so dire and so bad overnight. But I think it's important that we stop right here and make a notice of what Elisha said to the messenger after he doubted, because I think it's important. The messenger says... This could never happen. This could never happen. And Elisha says, you won't experience it. He says, it'll never happen. And Elisha says, you'll never experience it. 
the messenger disqualified himself with his words. And I believe wholeheartedly that we underestimate the power of our words. When the Bible says we reap what we sow, it's not just talking about money. Some of us are living the life today that looks exactly like the words that we kept speaking five years ago. Five years ago. And there's an interesting conversation that happens between God and Moses in the book of Numbers. We're going to leave our story for a second, go over to Moses and Numbers. When God is ready for Israel to go and inherit, take the promised land, Moses sends out 12 spies. Uh, 12 spies come back. Two spies of the 12 say, God says we can have it. Let's do it. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, there are giants. Yes, we're going to have to fight a battle. But God said, let's do it. So let's do it. Ten of the spies said, we can't do it. The giants are too big. The walls are too tall. There's no way that we can... There's no way we can do it. And the Bible says that those 10 spies begin to spread bad news all around the camp and with all the people so that everyone in the camp turned away and and didn't believe that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And God was not happy about it. God was not happy about it. And so God tells Moses, the people will never be allowed in. All these people, these 10 spies, all these people who have doubted me, they're not going to be allowed in. The only two people who are ever going to get to see the land and take the land are the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, that believed we could do it. Everybody else is going to die in the desert. I want you to notice what it says in Numbers 14, 28. God, speaking through Moses, says, Now tell them this, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, this is powerful, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. He says, tell them this, Moses, their self-fulfilled prophecies are going to come true. I'm going to do to them the very things that I heard them say. Let that sink in for just a moment. God says, let them know that they're going to experience the things that they are predicting. They're, They're going around saying things like this. God has brought us out in this desert to die. They just keep... Why'd God bring us out here to die? God brought us out here to die. We're going to die out in this desert, Moses. Why'd we come out here? We're going to die. 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 And God says, you're going to die. Let it be. Let it be. Yes. They said, we're going to starve. We're going to starve. Why'd God bring us out here to starve? And, and everything that they kept saying and all the negativity and all the things, God says, I'm going to do to them what they are saying. Now, please understand, I'm not claiming that God is a genie in a bottle and that you're guaranteed whatever you keep repeating, okay? I mean, I can stand here and say, you know, I'm 6'2", I'm 6'2", I'm 6'2", I'm, guess what, I'm 5'9", five, 5'8 five, and a half, okay? <laughs> you can have the flu and be like, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. You're sick. Okay, I'm not talking about some fanatical, extreme, you know, wordplay, all right? But I am convinced that many of us predict our own demise. Because here's what I know to be true. If you keep looking for bad news long enough, guess what? You're going to find it. If you keep looking for bad news long enough, you're going to find it. Well, I'm just, I'm never, I'm never going to be happy. I'm just, I'm just never going to be happy. I don't think I'll ever be happy. You just keep, you just keep saying that. I'm just never going to be happy. 
Never going to be happy. I, you know, I'm never going to have enough money. Oh, I'm always going to be poor. I'm always going to need help. I'm never going to have enough money. I'm never going to beat this addiction. You know, I don't think I'll ever beat this addiction. I don't think I'm ever going to beat this addiction. I'm never going to beat this addiction. I don't know if I'll ever beat this addiction. You just keep repeating the stories. You just keep saying it over and over and over again. I don't have any friends, you know. I don't really have any friends. You know, I don't really have a lot of friends. You just keep saying it over and over. and No one really cares about me. I don't really have anybody that cares about me. I don't, you know, I don't really have anybody that cares about me. And here's what I believe that I see, I've experienced myself talking to people. You're, you're going to get what you keep predicting. You're going to get it. What would happen if you woke up tomorrow and all day long you just kept talking to yourself and saying, today's going to be a good day? Today's going to be a good day. It's Monday and everybody I know says Mondays are terrible, but you know what? It's going to be a good day today. It's going to be a great today. What if you just kept saying, I serve a big God. Man, I serve a big God. God is so big. You just kept repeating that. God is so big. I serve a big God. What if you just kept repeating, you know, God loves me. I'm so loved by God. God's crazy about me. God loves me. I'm loved by God. What if you just kept repeating over and over again, God's going to use me to help somebody today. God's going to use me to help somebody today. God, God, I'm going I'm to help somebody. I'm going to do something big today. You know, when, uh, when we pray tonight at bedtime for our girls, um, you know, they, they'll pray a little bit, and then I always close out the prayer. And you've heard me talk about this before. There's two or three things I pray every night. And I pray it because I'm praying it to God, but I'm also praying it because I want them to hear it. I want my girls to hear it. And every night I pray a couple things. I pray, God, use my daughters to do something big. Let them do big things for God. We say it every night. Let them do big things for God. The other day we were driving in the car and I had Sadie with me. Nora was, I'm not sure where Nora was, but I had Sadie in the car with me and, and um, she was with her mom, I guess. I don't know. And um, <laughs> she's still here today, so everything worked out. But, um, and I said, Sadie, you know, God's gonna, you know God's gonna use you to help a lot of people. She's like, what do you mean, Dad? I said, as you, now, but as you get older, I just want you to know God's going to use you big. He's going to use you to help a lot of people. I just want her to hear that. I want that to get in her brain. I want that to get in her head. I want her to know that God wants to do big things through her. Every night, we pray, God, I pray that they would marry incredible men of God. Be preparing their husband right now. No gangsters, no thugs, no bums. We pray it every night. Every night. I want them to hear that, that we're not just going to take anybody. God's got somebody, the right person that he's been preparing. The words matter. The words matter. They have power. You know how I know they have power? Because some of you are still scarred and debilitated in life because of something that somebody you love said to you 20 years ago. And they didn't even realize when they were saying it how much power it had. But it did. But there's also another conversation between God and Moses. When Moses needed God to do something unbelievable, this was before the last story we just read. The people were in the desert and they were hungry and God had already provided manna. He'd already provided bread. And for whatever reason, the Israelites, you know, they, they, need, they want more than bread, you know. It's like, I think I could survive on Texas Roadhouse rolls. That's all I need in my diet. But they got sick of it, and so um, they're like, we want meat, we want meat, we want meat. And so Moses goes to God and says, God, the people want meat. They're going to turn on me. They're going to kill me. They think I brought them out here to, to starve. And, 
And so God is a little bit perturbed. He's a little ticked off. And he says to Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it rain quail. I'm, I'm going to give them enough quail to eat for a month. God says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give them so much quail that by the time they get done eating it, they're going to be sick to their stomach. They're never going to want to taste it ever again. They keep whining and complaining. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make it rain quail. And then Moses said in Numbers 11, verse 21, but Moses responded to the Lord, there are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me, but yet you say, I will give them meat for a whole month. I love this. Even if we butchered all our flocks and herds, would that satisfy them? Even if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? Then the Lord said to Moses, has my arm lost its power? Now you will see whether or not my word comes true. Moses just can't believe it's possible. He knows that God can do some incredible things. This is the same man who held up his staff and the sea split. This is the same guy who goes up on the mountain and the mountain shakes. He knows that God is able to do some incredible things. But just like Moses, we, when we find ourselves in an immediate situation needing God to do something miraculous, no matter how miraculous he's been in the past, we just aren't sure if he can do this miracle, if he can do this thing, right? It's impossible is what it is, Moses says. And then Numbers 11.31 happens. Now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall all around the camp. For miles in every direction, there were quail flying about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all that day and throughout the night and all the next day too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels They spread the quail all around the camp to dry. This is unbelievable. God made made it rain quail. It's incredible. But it's even more incredible than you realize. Let me just give you a few little Bible trivia facts to to make this event even more miraculous. So the Israelites were in the desert of Param, and that's about 50 miles from the Mediterranean Sea. So it's about Lexington, I guess. I don't know, about 50 miles, something like that. And quail tend to live by water, so they don't fly really long distances, okay? And so God provided a supernatural wind that gave the quail enough tailwind to fly from the Mediterranean Sea all the way to where they were, right? And we're not talking about just a little bit of quail here, okay? We're talking about enough quail for over a million people to eat for a month, okay? Now, historically, it's believed that, um, it's believed that the, the camp where this happens at, uh, the Israelites are staying, is about 700 miles, like a day's journey circumference, that the, the Israelite camp is about 700 square miles. Let me put that in perspective. Louisville is 399 square miles. So Israel's taking up about two Louisvilles, Okay. And so God sends a supernatural wind enough to to blow enough quail 50 miles west and cover 700 square miles of the Israelite camp. And each person filled up 50 bushels, which, thanks to Google, equates to 200 liters, 
multiply that by 600,000 soldiers, and it rained that night somewhere between 105 million quail. Let me say it one more time, because I'm more excited than you are. It rained 105 million quail. It's quail-mageddon, okay? 105 million. And I don't know if God's got swagger. But can I just, can you just think like he's up in heaven like... Moses. I think it's important to repeat what he said. Moses has my arm lost power. He's like 105 million quail right there. He can do it. And so God says to Moses, I'm going to send enough quail for 600,000 people per month. And Moses is like doing the math. And he's like, well, we got this much livestock and we, got, we could go fish. And, but this just doesn't add up, God. Just doesn't add up. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a place when God wants to do something miraculous? You want to believe that God wants to do something miraculous, but it doesn't just add up. It just doesn't add up. You know God wants you to maybe go on a missions trip. It doesn't add up. You know God maybe wants you to go back to school or to adopt, but it doesn't add up. You know God wants you to take the job that pays less money, but it doesn't add up. Too often... We let how get in the way of what God is wanting to do. And we struggle to believe because we got the pen and the paper out and we're trying to make it all add up. And we we struggle to believe because we just can't figure out how. And God says, don't worry about how. Let me just tell you what I'm going to do. And please hear me. There's nothing God can't do. Forgive me for the double negative. But there is nothing that God cannot do. A.W. Tozer said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So when you think about God, how big is he? How big is he? Is he big enough to fly 105 million quail 50 miles west? Is he big enough to make a closed womb open up? Is he big enough to provide the money that you need? Is he big enough to bring a son or daughter home who left? Is he big enough to fix a broken relationship that seems unfixable? Because there's nothing God can't do. Let me ask it to you this way. When's the last time you prayed a ridiculously big prayer? Because you believe that you served a ridiculously big God. So let's pick back up with Elisha and the famine, okay? So Elisha has broadcasted. He's publicly gone out on a ledge here, and he said, tomorrow, I know the famine's bad, but tomorrow wheat and flour and barley is going to be sold for a silver coin. And the messenger says, that could never happen. He had not heard about Quail Mageddon yet. So 2 Kings 7, 3 and 4, now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they ask each other. We will starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the 
Aramean army, and if they let us live, so much the better, but if they kill us, we would have died anyway. Now, I love this for so many reasons. First, I love that God decides to do this incredible miracle with four outcasts living outside the city, four lepers. Just reminds us that you never know uh, how or who God is going to do the miraculous things in your life. But the second thing that I love about it is that their desperation drives them to action. They have two choices, take a risk or die. Innovation is usually the result of desperation. And I can't prove it, but I've heard enough stories to know that sometimes God will let us hit bottom because he couldn't move us any other way. God will let us go all the way to the bottom, get as bad as it possibly can get, so that we have two choices, do something different or die. I got a phone call last night from a friend that uh, has been battling addiction, and, and I've tried to help as much as I can, but if you've ever been addicted or you love someone who has, you know that until they hit bottom, there's not much you can do. And so he called last night, and he finds himself in one of those reflective places again. And I told him again what I've told him a hundred times. When you hit the bottom and you only, like you can only change or die, you'll change. You'll change. But I don't, I don't think you've hit bottom yet. I don't think you've hit bottom yet. And that's where these four lepers find themselves Sometimes misery is God's best tool to get us to change when we never would before. When you, Dave Ramsey says, when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, you'll do something different. So let's keep, let's keep going. We're almost done. 2 Kings 7, uh, verse 5. So at twilight, the four lepers set out for the camp of the uh, Arameans, but when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. Look at this. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. Now, don't misread this. No one's coming. God is making them hear and feel like someone's coming. But the Israelite army is back in town eating dove dung. Like they're starving to death. And the army, the Aramean army says, somebody's coming. Oh my gosh, we gotta go. When the lepers arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and hid it. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. So the four men go back, and they report to everybody, hey, we went out to the Aramean camp, and uh, there's lots of food and gold and everything. It's just out there. There's nobody there. Nobody believes the four lepers, but they send some scouts out. Come to find out it's true. And then in verse 16, it says, then the people of Samaria rushed out and plundered the Aramean camp. So it was true that six quarts of choice flour sold that day for one piece of silver and 12 quarts of barley grain were sold for one piece of silver, just as the Lord had promised. Listen to me. There's nothing God can't do. 
And if you were trying to figure out how, probably would have, would have not made the list is like, yeah, the Aramean camp is going to imagine that they're being attacked and leave the camp, leaving all their stuff here. That's probably not making the list. But God says, you don't know how I do what I do. Stop trying to figure out how I do what I do and just let me do it and believe that I can. Even if you can't figure out how, just believe that I can and that I will. I don't really have a point to the sermon today. I just wanted you to hear a story about God who can do anything. My agenda today, my goal today is that you would leave here filled with faith, knowing that you serve a God who can change this instance, a scenario, a circumstance overnight. And I know you've thought of every scenario and everything that you've tried to figure, and it don't work. And God says, has my arm lost its power? I can make 105 million quail flying from the Mediterranean Sea. I can make a whole army who is kicking your tail, afraid they're going to lose and make them run. I can do it. There's nothing I can't do. And so let me ask you this question today. How big is your God? How big is your God? What are you believing him for? What are you audacious enough to believe that God maybe could do? What do you need God to do? What do you hope God would do? What if, and I can't prove this, but what if the only thing holding you back is the faith, the belief that God can or that God will? Doesn't make sense. Can't figure out how. But God loves to come into the most desperate situations and do the most ridiculous miracles because when that happens, everybody stands back and goes, only could have been God. Only could have been God. No other way. Only could have been God. So I just want you today, my hope, my prayer, my goal, my agenda, my desire is that you would leave here today and you would leave with a magnified view of God and that he could help you believe that it can happen. It can happen. Whatever it is, it can happen. Let's pray.